Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. Well, good morning. Welcome to Calvary. I'm glad to see you joining with us here in person. Also want to just say hello to those joining us um, online on Facebook today. It's great to have you in our service. I'm really looking forward to this journey we're going to take today as we go into God's Word. And I hope you're ready for this because I think God's got some great things for us to hear today. Uh, but that particular video presentation just really grabbed my attention when I think about what God does in our lives. And I know many of you would have similar testimonies of what God has done in your life as he transforms us. What a powerful word to be transformed and to see God's change in you. And, and here's what I want you to understand. That can be your testimony. You can know the transforming power of God, but it all begins when you have a relationship with that God through his son, Jesus Christ. And so my prayer has been this week, and it will continue to be throughout this service, that if, if you have not yet experienced that transforming, transforming power, that before this day, before this service is over, you too would know the same Jesus we're talking about, because he really wants to make that kind of difference in your life. So that word transformed is so powerful. What we've also been learning over the last few weeks is that the last several chapters of Romans kind of hinge I think, on that particular word, the idea of what transformation looks like for those of us who are followers of Christ. And all of it jumps off of this one verse that we've been focusing on, Romans chapter 12, verse number 2, where Paul the writer says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let's just talk about that one little phrase for a minute, the pattern of this world. We've kind of touched on it here and there throughout the last few weeks, but let's focus there for a minute. We're talking about a pattern, something, a, a guide that you go after. It's basically what he's looking at is the things that you feel and see that go on around you, the, the influences around you that are trying to help you to think in a way that they think, that you're going the way that they go, right? And it's the idea of sometimes... We don't even try to make the effort or we don't think it's, it's uh, worth the effort to kind of think for ourselves and believe for ourselves. It's just easier to kind of go with the flow, as the phrase says, right? It's easier to go along, and that would be what this is talking about, the pattern of the, the world. And so here's what he says. Stop doing that. Stop conforming to a pattern that's not according to God, but be transformed, to see, let God change you, but he says that happens through the what? Through the renewing of your mind. The way you think is going to be the way that you act. The way you think is going to be the way that your life goes, so you have to have your mind renewed, and that's what we're talking about in these last several chapters of Romans. Today, here's the thought that I want you to consider. So as I, I say this, just in your mind, how do these words make you feel? How, what do you think about when I say these words? Here it is. Just do as you're told. Oh, I hear the grumbles, right? Nobody likes to hear that. We haven't liked that since we were little. Just do as you're told. Every parent in here has used that line at least once, right? And we all, and we all kind of bristle at that. Phrases like just do as you're told or words like submit. Those are words that kind of fly in the face of what, what we think, what we feel, what we hear, and especially in the pattern of the world around us, that's a word that often is, is considered always a bad thing. Submission is always bad. It's something that we want to fight against and we guard against and we just don't, we can't like that. But my question is, 
Where did we learn to dislike that word so much? Did we learn it from Jesus? Is that a biblical attitude that we would dislike that concept so well? Here's what I've learned, and we'll see it in a second, that Jesus actually showed us that there is a beautiful side to this idea of submission, but done the way that he has described it. Let me give you some examples. Uh, These are all Jesus' words, John 8, verse 28. Listen to what he said. I do nothing on my own authority, but I say only what the Father has instructed me to say. I always do what pleases him. I don't do my thing. I'm, I'm answering to a different authority, and I do what the Father tells me. But John chapter number 12, uh, he said, I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. I don't even speak unless I get it from the authority that is, that is my authority, and that's the Father. It, further in John chapter 14, the world must know that I love the Father, so I do exactly what the Father told me to do. I just do what I'm told to do by my Father. That's what Jesus said. I am willing to submit myself to that authority. I don't even claim the authority of my own. I I submit myself to that. Here's the thing. We often think of this in such negative terms, and it's something we want to avoid and we want to go after. And yes, there are some some important things of being independent and having your mind, but we want to talk about today how we need a renewal of our mind in this idea, but it's, it's hard for us because the pattern of the world says that that's not a good attitude. To, to be able, there shouldn't be leaders, shouldn't be anybody over, everyone's equal voice. No one should be able to tell us ever what to do. I mean, we've been talking about it. We sing songs about it, right? It's my thing, going to do what I want to do, right? Okay. Or for some of you a little bit older than me, Blue Eyes said, um, I did it my way, right? Okay. So we understand. We've been talking about this forever that nobody's going to tell me what to do. No, but I, I'm going to do what I want to do, and it's bad to ever think of anything that would be any different than do, doing what I'm told. And here's what we're going to learn. As followers of Christ, God needs to transform our minds, our thinking, renew our minds about some of this idea of, of the pattern that Christ set for us, that this submission, there can be a beautiful, a beautiful side to this. In fact, I heard this quote this week. As believers, followers of Christ... We are called by God to put on display to the world a picture that it can be a beautiful thing to submit. Christians, we need a renewal to understand, to let the world see that there is a a beautiful side to this this concept. And so that leads us to where we're talking about today. We're going to talk about transformed, being renewed in our response to authority. Today we're going to be moving in our book of Romans. We've finished chapter 12. We're going to be moving to chapter 13. And we're going to see how these two tie together, specifically how we left off last week. We're to love our enemies and never seek revenge or retaliation. That immediately says, so then what happens? If I don't get revenge, if I don't get even, then are they just getting away with it, right? Does God have anything to say about that? And we're going to see that this passage actually addresses that particular Topic, but before we get started, let me just say right off the bat, some of what we're going to say today may be a little troubling for some of us. There's going to be some words that we're going to talk about that, that Paul gives a picture that that I, I think we're going to paint that you're going to have to going to have to listen and let God speak to you because here I, I just kind of imagine in my mind, you see, when they this first came out, this letter 
back in the first century, they didn't have multiple translations, multiple, they had a, they had a letter and someone stood up and read it to the congregation. In my mind, my imagination goes that the guy's reading this letter to the congregation and he kind of stops right before he reads this and says, okay, guys, you need to take a breath because this next part's a little bit sticky. This next part gets a little bit heavy as we go through it. In fact, one guy said this week that he believes this to be the most controversial passage of Scripture in all of history. Now, that may be an overstatement, but I'm telling you, there's some important things in here that are, that are readily discussed and debated among Christians. They have been for years and especially even pastors, Christians in our current days are going to have some things to say about that, what is said in this particular passage. So we need to let God renew our minds as it comes to what he wants us to hear. Romans 13, let me read the seven verses we're going to look at, and then we're going to go back and kind of walk through them. 13, verse number 1, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. Ooh, I think, let's just go home. I don't think we want to talk about that. But anyway, we'll get there, all right? This is why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. There's some renewal we need to consider as we talk through these, these verses but I, I want to point out, I think there's some very clear, whether we want to admit it or not, some very clear things that he says here. I mean, these are some Captain Obvious type things as you read through this passage. Can I point out just two that I think you get? One is this, submit to the governing authorities. Is that pretty clear in that passage? Twice he says that exact phrase. And then secondly, pay your taxes. I don't think he can be any clearer about those two directives we're going to go back and find out what he's talking about when it mentions these two areas. Understand, authority in the New Testament or in the Bible as a whole, God has this place for authority, and it's, it's in several different areas. It's when a, a submission to one another. It talks about there's authority and submission within the home. It talks about within the church. All those things are talked about in Scripture, but this particular one seems to be narrow focus to one area of authority when he says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, to the government that's over us. Now, in Paul's place, when he says that, there were two kind of governing authorities that he answered to. One would have been the, the Roman government. He was living under the Roman Empire. But it, he being a Jew, he also was under the, the uh, the Jewish civil government as well. They were religious, civil, kind of a mix, and he found himself under both of those authorities. But here's what you got to know. If, if you're not familiar, history tells us 
that we would say very quickly that both of those bodies of authority had some serious issues. There was, there was some bad stuff going on in both of those bodies, those governing bodies of authority. We know they weren't friendly to the gospel, either one of them. We know that there was many things that would happen, including the persecution of the church. It started with the Jewish authorities, and, and Paul would, was very quickly uh, baptized into that issue. But I also know that by this time, he's already spent time in a Roman prison. So the Jewish authorities, the Roman authorities, these were, they, there, was some, there were some problems within these in, entities. We had a lot of egomaniacs. I mean, history, all the Caesars and all of that. We know there was, there was that. There's corruption. There was greed. There was just vast immorality in the governments and in the culture of that day. Just to summarize, this was morally, spiritually a troublesome society and a troublesome governing. And yet he says... And can you imagine the eyebrows as this reader gets to this point that raise, as he says, let everyone be subject to the government, to the governing authorities? Okay, Paul, this is, this, I don't think I quite follow you here. You're going to have to explain. Let me see if we can walk through this a little bit. Let's start with those, that, that phrase, be subject, or your version may say literally submit. It's interesting. I think this is a very important thing we understand. There was a choice of words here. There are some versions, I think, that actually use the word, but this was not the same word as obey. He said to be subject, to submit. He didn't say to obey. Obey as in what God tells us to keep his commandments, we're to obey him. That's not the same word here. Now, in most cases, submission includes or it involves obedience, but it's actually bigger than that. It's actually more than that. Let me give you a definition. Submission, by definition, is to line up under. It was actually a military term. It was the understanding that you have a, you have a, a sergeant, you have lieutenants, you, you, you line up under those over you. It, it says it's to recognize one's subordinate position, to acknowledge that someone has authority over us. It, it's more than obedience, although it includes obedience in most cases, but what it is, it's a, it's a posture of recognizing that there is an authority that I am to recognize, that I am to submit to. This idea of submission is, is more than just one, one phrase. It actually has also the attitude involved. It's how I submit. It's my manner. It's the, the way in which I submit to it, and also includes actions, which would involve, in many cases, the act of obedience. So, Paul, why is this so important? Why do our minds need to be transformed? Why do we need renewal in this area? What does this have to do with my spiritual growth? What in, in, in any way does this have to do with helping us? Let me just walk through four specific areas that we as believers need to recognize from this passage. First one is very simple. All authority comes from God. God is the ultimate authority Authority doesn't exist without him. He is the one, in fact, look at the verse again, verse 1. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Very clear. All authority comes from God. So our submission to authority over us 
is in, in part recognizing the fact that, that God has given authority as his way of ordering this world, his way of, of it working in our society, lost and saved. God has set an order in motion. He's put authorities there. This is a part of, of recognizing this is divinely ordained. This authority comes from God. Now, he never talks in the scriptures about any specific type of government that he endorses, whether it's a democracy or a monarchy or dictatorship or a, a republic. He doesn't mention those. Most of those are listed somewhere in scripture. Doesn't talk, nor does he condone the evil actions of governments. He's not saying that this is carte blanche. Now you have authority, you can do whatever you want. That's not it at all. But what this does, submission is about honoring God as the ultimate authority and then recognizing that he puts other authority under him, and that's part of his plan. And they receive their authority from God himself. Let's think about that for a minute. A couple things come to mind. One is a word of comfort, and one's a word of challenge when I think of that. One, the comfort is that no matter who the authority is, there's always a bigger authority, and that's God. They don't have the ultimate authority. God's still in control. We're going to see a verse later. Basically, God can put him in and God can take him out. He has, he is the ultimate authority. We should take comfort in that, that our God is still in charge. No matter who may be sitting in a place of authority, God is always in charge. But the challenge is, am I going to recognize their authority as coming from God? And that means they're a representative of God. And what am I going to do with that truth? All authority comes from God. Here's another thing to learn. All authorities work for God. They, and here's the caveat. They may not even realize it. They're working for him, and they may not even recognize. In fact, many of the times they don't. Look, look what it tells us, verse 4. And throughout, there's, there's a specific phrase that's used three times in this. See if you notice it. The one in authority is God's servant for your good. Later in that verse, they, that's the authorities, are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. And verse 6, for the authorities are God's servants. Three times, specifically, Paul says, these authorities are working for God. They're his servants. They are under that not only they receive their authority from him, they're actually on assignment from him. Now, keep in perspective here who we're talking about and the, and the implications of that for them. For, for Paul, from all those governments that, that he was under, he received some pretty rough treatment from them. The persecution, the, the beatings, the things that he, it's very clear in Scripture. And he'd already spent time in a Roman cell. We've already talked about that. And spoiler alert, uh, for those of you who don't know the end story, Paul's life ends when a Roman sword cuts off his head according to history, right? So Paul's saying all of these things under a government that's not going to necessarily be friendly to his cause or his person. And who is he writing to? He's writing to people who live in the capital of this empire. He's writing to the people in Rome. So they're seeing all of this. They know what's happening in this government and the culture, the Greco-Roman culture was anything but God-friendly. It was, it was definitely not a, a, a society pushing towards God. And so he's saying still, do you recognize that even the authority of Rome is God's servant to this world, including you? Can, can you imagine the people trying to process what, what he's saying? Here's something else Paul was aware of, not only the authority from God, he was also aware of some Jewish history 
biblical history that this wasn't a new thing. This idea of God using rulers as his servants, this wasn't just for this, this time. Paul would have known the biblical examples that uh, there were times when rulers, empires in the world intermingled with the people of Israel and God would then show how that this connection that God was using them. Let me give you an example. One of, one of the first ones, Babylon, which was at one point a, a world empire, Babylon was under the direction at the beginning of a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was ultimately the one who would come to Jerusalem and he would, he would, take, he would overthrow the country, tear down the, the city and its temple, and take many of the people captive. Okay, that Nebuchadnezzar, look how Jeremiah describes him. This is what the Lord says, Jeremiah 43, the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, I will send for my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Jeremiah lists that at least three times, that very phrase. Nebuchadnezzar is my servant, God says. He is doing what I told him to do. He is doing my bidding. He is being used by me. Okay, so Persia then conquers Babylon. And up rising through the ranks comes a king by the name of Cyrus. Listen how God describes Cyrus in a couple places. Isaiah 44. This is what the Lord says of Cyrus. He is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. God speaking of this, this pagan king. And in chapter 45, he says this. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of to subdue nations before him. He calls, God calls him his shepherd. He actually calls him his anointed. Now, that may not jump off the page to you, but if you look at that word, that's the same word that will later give prophecy of Jesus coming as the Messiah. It's a messianic term. And God uses that as Cyrus is one who has been anointed to do and to, to answer the bidding of what God has said because he is his servant. Here's how Daniel as he looked in the face of Nebuchadnezzar, he told him this, Daniel 4, 17, the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Authority comes from God. All authorities work for God, whether they realize it or not. Again, it's not condoning their methods. It's not condoning their evil. In fact, the Bible tells us many of those rulers, though they, they served at a time, they would eventually find their punishment. God would, bring, would take their kingdoms away, would destroy. So it's not any way condoning, but there is a point in which these are servants of God because God made that so. He put them in that position. So let's go back to our Romans passage. Romans chapter 13. He gives us a primary reason why God or how God uses authorities as his servants. Look at verse number three. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. In general terms, God uses the governing authorities as his servant to enact justice in this earth, to reward good and to punish that which is evil, and he says, listen, if, if you want to not have fear of the government, then just do the right thing. Just, just follow, submit to it. Okay, so if you want to go 65 and a 35, be my guest, but don't be shocked. Don't be hurt if you get a nice little note from an officer. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because if you do it, you understand that there, 
that what, what could come. He said, there's nothing to fear if you do what is right. But I want you to look at the last part of that verse. He says, because the one in authority is God's servant for your good. Man, I had to stop and chew on that for a minute. God's servant, I get that. God's using them, but he's doing that for our good. Do you recognize that what God is saying is, I put governing authorities in there for your best interest. Doesn't mean they always get it right. Doesn't mean that they're not, that, that they don't have some issues of their own, but they are in place for your best. Your, they are my servants. The word servant here used a couple of times is the word for a waiter, a, a table servant. We get our word deacon from this particular word. By definition, it, it means one who accomplishes the commands of another. They simply are doing what they've been told to do. They, they're, they're acting as, as God's servants following his command. So in essence, we should be thanking God for our governing authorities because God puts them there to help bring the justice in our society. That's their purpose. That's, that's one of the things that God uses them as servants. But here's something we've got to acknowledge. Many of us know sometimes when you hear somebody say, this is for your own good, <laughs> it's not always pleasant, is it? This is for your own good. And we're like, oh, boy, this isn't going to feel good, right? You, some of those examples we talked about, Jeremiah and Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus and all those, do you realize that God used them also in the children of Israel for their own good, but it was to bring them back to where God needed them to be? They had been started worshiping idols, and they were falling, they were walking away from God, and so God would use a, an empire to come to overthrow them, to get their attention, to say, this is because you've been worshiping idols, I want you to follow me, and it would get their attention. It was still, it was evil in what they were doing, perhaps, but that's why he, he could say, that's why there's a Nebuchadnezzar, that's why there's Cyrus, that's why there's a, a Caesar. These, some of these things were there to help get their attention, because it was for their good. This is what they needed. Think about that. Is it possible that there could be an authority in our life that we're not fond of at all that could be there because God's trying to get us to where we need to go, trying to get us to get back to where we need to be? Could God still use authority? Absolutely, because they're his servants. Look at the next verse, verse 4. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. Here's our phrase again. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Remember I told you chapter 12 and the end of it in chapter 13, they, they weave together. Like we said, chapter 12, verse 19 says we're never to revenge, don't retaliate, don't repay evil for evil. And then our minds go to, but if I don't, who's going to? How, are they just going to get away with it? It just it doesn't seem right. And I know God will take care of it all in the end, but anything going to happen right now? That's what God says the governing authorities. That's what their job is to do, to punish the evildoers and to take care of that, even to, to bring punishment and whatever it takes to bring the justice that is needed. That's how God and why God has set that up. But notice he not only says that they're put there by God, but we as people under them are to support them. Look at verse number 6. This is why you pay taxes. You pay taxes because the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. It's interesting, again, very specific choice of words here. We've seen the word servant twice already. This word servant is a different word in the original language. Now, what that means is there, there's a different nuance here. Some of your translations will actually use the term. This one here, he says, they are God's ministers. 
they, and that word minister, the word that that comes from, actually has not only civil but religious connotations. For instance, angels are referred to as ministers of God to help us. The Old Testament priests were referred to as ministers. Uh, the, Jesus, as the high priest in Hebrews, is referred to as a minister of God. Paul in Romans 15 says, I am a minister of God to the Gentiles. I am a servant of God and I'm ministering in this fashion. Do you hear what he's saying about this government of Rome and, and all the governing, those servants who collect taxes? They're God's ministers. They're doing God's bidding even to the point of serving in that capacity, whether they recognize it or not. And so this is where some of the rub comes. This is why this is kind of a controversial passage. Because we look back and we think, how in the world could that be? God is in control of power. And then you look at, let's just think of two names that pop off my head, Hitler and Osama bin Laden. I mean, leaders, how in the world could all of that, be, all, and so here's what we, we tend to try to legitimize the fact that, well, they're bad leaders, so I don't, need to, I don't need to follow authority. There are Christians who actually legitimize the fact that there is no legitimate government. I don't need to follow it because look what, look what it does. Look what it has done over the centuries. We try to dis, some people have tried to dismiss this passage just being for these Roman Christians. It doesn't apply to all of us. But he says everyone is to be subject. It is, seems quite universal. We can't try to excuse our re- disrespect and our rebellion because of bad leaders, there is a principle that God has here. But here's what you got to remember. God gave the authority, but he gave it to humans, so humans are going to misuse it. Humans are going to make some huge mistakes and do some bad things with it, but understand that God still works through even horrible leaders, still does his work. Another quote, even the best of human governments do not participate in the work of the kingdom they're not, they're not doing kingdom work, but even the worst of governments are not hindering the purpose of God's word and God's will. The worst of governments cannot stop what God is doing. God is at work, and, and there's, not, there's not a power on earth that can stop it. And all of that, in case you haven't got it yet, leads us to another thought, and that is this. Rebellion will have its consequences. You choose to, to disrespect and not follow that, and there are consequences. Look at verse 2. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Did you see that? You rebel against the governing authorities. You're rebelling against what God has put in place. And judgment is coming. God takes this obviously very serious. Now, whether what he means by judgment could go back to what we just read. When you do wrong, expect to receive consequences, you know, from the government itself. Could be. But there seems to be an indication that this involves even a divine kind of judgment, that this is God saying, you're rebelling against them, you're rebelling against me, and that's not going to go good for you. All authority comes from God. All authorities work for God. Rebellion has its consequences. But now there's an obvious question that comes up. Perhaps you're actually asking it right now. Are there any exceptions to this? Would God literally just say, obey blind obedience to whatever an authority has to say. Any, every human law, we just, we just do it without, without any recourse. 
let's go back to a couple of things we've learned already. Submit. I think it's important, the word that he used. Submit often includes obedience, but it's different than obedience. Submit is honoring the authority that is put over it. It's respecting. It's recognizing that it comes from God. It's a posture. It's a humble recognition that this authority is from God, and I, they deserve the respect that God has given them in that position. And, and so could there be any disobedience that would be right in God's eyes when it comes to this kind of governing authorities. Now, here's before I get started, let me just cast out a little warning that we're already running our heads. As humans, what do we usually look? We're looking for the loopholes. We're looking for the exceptions. We want to say, well, then I don't like the way they did it. They're not, they're, they're not good people. I don't have to. Because, and we have, we have our own reasons. God's word is pretty clear here. They, they may not do it right all of the time, but there's an authority above us, and it's important how we treat them. But let's go to the Bible and see, are there any examples? Well, if you know the Scriptures, you know, know there are some examples of those who were under authority, and they, they had to, to disobey that authority. Some of the premier examples happen in the book of Daniel. There's four guys. Names Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, you may not know the story. Let me just give you the thumbnail version. The, the three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, basically looked at the king and said, dude, you can play that song as many times as you want. We're not going to bow down to this idol. We're not going to dishonor our God and bow to this idol. Daniel is told, you know, you're not to pray to anybody but the, but the king. Daniel said, you can say it all you want. I'm praying to God. I'm going to keep my prayer life. You're not going to stop me, right? So they had, there was an order given, and they had to choose to disobey it. So here's a principle that we can learn. Is there an exception? Really the best, perhaps the only verified exception that we have according to Scripture is any command that requires disobedience to the Word of God. If they're telling you to dishonor what God has said, to do something against what God has said, then there's, there's something. Here's, that's what happened in those four guys' case. They were told to do something, but it was obvious that was not God's will. You're not to worship idols. So, I don't have, so they, they made that decision. You are to pray to me and not to anyone else. But here's what they did. They respectfully said, listen, we have a higher authority than you, Nebuchadnezzar. We have a higher authority than you, Darius, and we are, we are subject to that authority first and foremost. And we, we recognize that you are an authority, but we, but we also have to recognize that there is one bigger than you. There's one who's actually given you the authority, and he is the ultimate authority. We have to obey him, follow him first. In fact, to be renewed, transformed, there may come a point in your life when you will have to willingly say, I have to disobey this particular rule because I have an authority of God that says something different. It, it, it very well will happen in your life that you'll have to make that particular choice. But let me remind you that when you do, there are consequences. Even if it is what God wants, there will be results from that. Rad, Shaq, and Benny here and those three guys, they disobeyed. They ended up in a fiery furnace. Daniel don't pray to anybody but the king. He chose to disobey, ends up spending the night with a hungry group of lions. There will be consequences. There will be results. But at some point, you have to realize that, yes, I, I will do what I'm told to do, and God is my ultimate authority. And if, if this authority says something in opposition to that, I have only one choice, and that is, in fact, 
the early church came to realize this quite quickly. They were told, hey, the apostles, Peter, you guys, you, can, you need to stop preaching in Jesus' name. This isn't, this isn't what we want. Their authorities were telling them this, and here was their answer. Acts 5, 29, we must obey God rather than human beings. We have a higher authority, and we have to obey them first. If, if he says this, we do that, and hopefully that doesn't come in conflict with you, but if it does, we have to obey him first. Christians, we have to find the balance here. We don't, carefully, we have to make sure that we're not just trying to obscure the clear teaching here. He said, honor your authorities, submit yourselves to them. And so not coming up with our own excuses, our own qualifications of why this doesn't work. I I don't like them. They're not a good leader. I don't like the way they look. I don't like the things they do. But if they're not telling us to do something that disobeys God, then they're still the authority. And God says, submit yourselves to them, Right? We have to make sure we don't try to put in our own thinking there. On the other hand, we should never and must never put a governing authority, any earthly authority, in a place that only God deserves. God is the ultimate authority, and we can't put someone up in that place and obey them rather than God. We have to know that authority. Their authority is limited. So here comes the rub. Christians, as Christians, we, we may differ on where that line is. Different Christians, we have found it in recent days, will have a different opinion on where that line is. And some will say that this steps across their authority and what they, and some thoughts to wrap this up. One, we've already stated, I think it's as clear as can be in this passage, submit to the governing authorities and pay your taxes. It's pretty clear, is it not? I don't think, I don't think you can weasel around that one. It's pretty clear. Submit to them. Acknowledge that they're in the position God has for them. Submit to their authority. Even, when they're, even if it's not your favorite, you, you can submit to their authority and pay your taxes. Don't try to weasel out of that one. He says at the very end, you, what you owe, pay. Pay your taxes, pay your revenue. All those. We know there's two sure things, death and taxes. And if we're Christians, death doesn't even bother us because we're going to be resurrected. But we got taxes, right? So what do you do? You pay your taxes. That's how God's ministers that God has sent are supported. So he tells us that. That's very clear. Let me give you another passage, an alternative passage, 1 Timothy chapter 2. You may recognize these first words. Paul says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. And then notice who are the first all people that he mentions. For kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Do you want to live a peaceful and quiet life? Well, here's where it starts. Pray for your leaders. Pray for those in authority. Lift them up in prayer. You say, oh, I'm going to pray for them. I'm praying they're going to get, you know. He's praying for their best interests. You pray for them to do their governing right. You pray, ultimately, the next verse talks about that our Savior wants all people to be saved. So the best prayer you can pray is, God, help our governing leaders to know and follow you. If they know and follow God, they're going to make some better decisions. So my prayer is, God, help them to make good decisions. Help them to know you. Help them to follow you. We pray for our leaders. And then we go back to our verse again, verse 7 of Romans 13. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, taxes, revenue, revenue. And then look at these last words. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. You say, well, respect has to be earned. Do you recognize if God put them in that position, that position deserves respect and honor? 
Christians, I'll just challenge if we have to be careful sometimes how we speak about our governing authorities, how we treat them, even if it's around our kids, it's in private. Do you recognize they have been put there by God? They're servants of God. They're not perfect servants. They're going to get it wrong a lot of times. They may be following the wrong kingdom, but they're, they're his servants, whether they, whether they realize it or not. Respect and honor is what God calls for us to do with our words, with our actions. We submit to that, to that authority. It's a matter of understanding, Christians, the world is looking for us and how we're going to handle all things. How, why do we need a renewed mind? Because they're looking, how are you going to handle this authority? How are you going to handle these people? We, we as Christians have no, no uh, latitude to say, well, I, I don't have to because I don't like, right? It's, we have been galled by our Father as salt and light on this earth to have a renewed mind about those in authority over us. That's part of this transformed living that God has for us as Christians. So Christians, our call is pretty clear. Submit, pay your taxes, pray for your leaders, respect and honor them. But I know there's some here in this room, perhaps listening online, I want to make sure you understand that, that all of this comes back to, as we said, a, a, the transformed understanding is having a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to take you those verses we left off with in 1 Timothy chapter 2. If starting at verse number 4, this is his next phrase. Paul said, God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants, he wants all of us to be saved. Look what he says in the next verse, verse number five and, and six. He says, for there's one God, one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. If, if you're here today, you're listening today, and you've not yet entered into a relationship with God, you still have questions, maybe, you, maybe you're, this is kind of new to you, can I just give you some good news? God wants you to be saved. God wants a relationship with you. Wants it so bad that he sent his son as a ransom for you, dying on a cross because you're a sinner who needs a savior and he came to become that savior for you. Out of his love, he sent his son to die for you. And now he says, there is only one way to come to me, the mediator, one mediator, and that's Jesus Christ who died in your behalf. So my question is today, have you received that gift? Are you currently in a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, because his sins have forgiven you? You've come to that point, you recognize your need, you receive Jesus as Savior. Have you done that? If so, then you are experiencing a transformation. God is changing you. Have you experienced the transformed life? I pray that if, if you haven't, that today will be the day you do. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer this morning? With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I just encourage you to, to consider what we've talked about today. A lot, of, a lot of words that we need to hear, sometimes they're a little hard to hear perhaps. As Christians, are we listening to the way God wants us to treat our authority? Is there anything we need to do? Is God showing us something we need to do differently or change in the way that we react to our authority? Or today, if if you're listening to me, either here or online, and you've not yet received that gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, even right now, in this moment, would you call out to him and say, God, I get it, I'm a sinner. I have to have a savior, and you came, died on the cross to become that savior for me. Thank you, forgive me, I wanna be your follower. Save me, come into my life and change me, transform me. Would you pray out to him, receive his gift today? Father. 
thank you for what you've taught us. It's really clear in many cases there are some lines that we've got to maneuver through and we've got to, we've got to let you show us, but God, it's pretty clear that the authority you have given us and how we're to honor and thank you for that. But please help us. It's hard sometimes, God. It really is. Sometimes that, that idea is just difficult because it just doesn't seem to be working the way we want it to work. So God, help us to trust you, to trust you as our authority more than anything and what you're doing in our lives. And God, if there's one here today, one listening that has not received your gift of salvation, Help them to see their need and to see Jesus provided for that need and help them to receive you today. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I give you a chance to think about that, talk to God about what he said to you today. If you have questions about knowing him as Savior, about following him, about this, this relationship with him, I'd love to talk to you. Put it on your card. See me after the service message me on Facebook. Just let me know and I'd love to communicate with you. But let's spend some time in just talking to our, our God today about what he's been talking to us about.